We're in a last part of just a two-week but four-message because I've been doing a different one but the same topic in the evenings titled That's Awkward. I'm tackling some of the statements or lessons in the Bible that are quite hectic. And today, I'm really looking forward to tackling uh, one of those uh, especially. I've titled my message Disconnection and Reconnection. If you had come to my home a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, you might have assumed that a crime took place in my house. There was blood everywhere. Now I've got you a little anxious, quite nervous. There was blood on the glass windows and blood on the kitchen counters. My newly painted white walls, blood. Blood on everything one meter off the ground. I was really troubled by that. I thought, I wonder what's going on. The answer lay with one of my dogs. They had injured the tip of their tail. Ah, look at you, suspense, dissipated, joy back. He has a problem. When he expresses happiness, he wags his tail more than is good for him. So recently when the painters were there, he stood and watched them paint while wagging his tail up against the steel column. And wore off all the fur. This is going somewhere. Just don't, don't log out. Don't log out. This is very important. You're like, I came here looking for Jesus and now we've got a wannabe vet. But, and he kept doing it until raw. And now the slightest bump. A guest visited me the other day, a friend of mine, tail. I want to greet your dogs. I said, don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't do it. They looked like the victim of the crime. Blood spatter up and down as the tail hit and wagged. I said to my vet, uh, Dr. Dean Sim, uh, uh, what, what do we do? He said, well, he said, we may have to cut off a piece of the tail because at this point, it's too raw. Now you might think, I'd like to see this guy connect that to a scripture. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 says, if your eye causes you... (sighs) (laughs) Causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast out. Today, I want to tackle that scripture from the point of view that not all things that make you happy are necessarily spiritually healthy for you. You might be smiling and greeting, but in the meantime, that which you are happy about is bashing up against the pillars of the principle of God. And at some point, you're going to have to cut off what keeps bleeding in your life. That was a risky introduction, but I'm pleased. I I think we we got there. We got there. I'm I'm pleased. Um, Risky because that verse is so difficult. It's so difficult without a context. Chopping off arms, plucking out eyes. It's an awkward scripture. I worry sometimes that some of the saints not being 
spiritually uh, uh, motivated, might try to put this into physical practice. And in the history of the church, some of that has happened. But I want to talk to you today about how important it is to cut something out or take something out so that God can put something in or graft something in to your life. See, is that a clappable moment? See, I think we're eager for God to add, but we seem reluctant to edit. Before there can be adding, there has to be editing. And this is the part we seem to struggle with tremendously. Do you remember, uh, unless you were in the evening service, uh, you, you would not have known, I, I raised the issue of um, Lazarus ra- raising from the dead. Have you ever wondered why perhaps Jesus was so emotional on that day? I know that many people say, well, he must have really loved him. Well, that's what the crowd said. And I know that you might say, well, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible is because Jesus had a heart. And that is all true. But there's something else about that story that is really powerful. And then I'm going to take you to the first miracle in the Bible, the miracle of the turning of the water into? Yes. All the people's first favorite miracle. Every churched and unchurched person keen to try it out. But you know, there's a reason, an additional reason theologians tell us why Jesus was so emotional on that day. Because he knew that in order to command Lazarus out of the grave, he himself would have to go into it. The resurrection of that man was a reminder to Jesus of why he was here. Lazarus, you can come out but I'm gonna have to be there for those days, not long from now. It's the same as, hey, is it raining? Thank you, Lord, let it rain. Uh, Just to warn, some of you will be automatically baptized uh, because uh, there there are one or two very small holes, very small holes, but you were chosen. (laughs) And you just must accept your hair condition accordingly. But similarly with the story of uh, uh, the the water into wine, which we'll discuss in a moment, Jesus seemed abrupt with his mother. Woman, why are you involved me in this? My time has not yet come. Surely at some point you must ask, the time for what? All we're mentioning is that they've run out of wine. Well, no, to Jesus, that wedding wasn't an arbitrary, uh, let me make friends with my disciples by showing them a cool alcohol trick. It wasn't that. It was a wedding feast. It was a wedding feast to start his ministry because it would be in Revelation chapter 21, a wedding feast that would end it. Because on a day when we meet up one day face to face for the wedding supper of the Lamb, Jesus standing in a crowd noticing their joy was facing his sorrow. Knowing that one day, this is only going to be possible if I become the water put up on a cross that turns into the wine for the blood and redemption of all of mankind. Drink and enjoy, but for me, your joy today is a reminder of a transitional sorrow I must first go through. It wasn't arbitrary. He didn't pick a random wedding and say, let's do a cool trick. Every story and every miracle in the Bible is a a pattern, 
a method, a spiritual journey. And I want to remind you today just how incredibly powerful those patterns and spiritual journeys are. You and I need to become comfortable with the idea of pruning, editing, cutting off, shaping, making space, not so that God punishes us or that you be less in any way, but that God can add something new to to your life. We've got to cut some things out. Nobody really wants to talk about stuff like that. And these days, it's all about adding things. Add as much as you can. Tonight, I want to talk about how the algorithm is a lie. Not so long ago, I was watching, you know, YouTube shorts, right? That's what you do when you're bored. And you watch those at the same time as a movie. Because we multitask now, you know? And one of the recommendations or one of the things that just came up, I have no idea why they came up. One of the things that came up was about how a Muslim lady does the head wrap thing. I'm getting the terminology wrong here, but just forgive me. Well, I thought, well, I mean, I'm bored and, you know, it is interesting, I suppose. So I let it play through. I should not have done that. Because from that moment, the algorithm decided I am a Muslim woman (laughs) in need of content. I have been bombarded with content about food to make my husband. I have been bombarded by content about how to be discreet. I've been bombarded by content about how to do my makeup and then still be able to have the veil thing over. Let me tell you something. How is it that I can watch a year's worth of spiritual stuff and I got to go search for it, but if you decide something for me, I got to eat what you prepared for me as my new menu, it's not acceptable. I have to cut some things out. I rebooted. There is a way of rebooting. You just delete your history. And I've realized things want to attach themselves to us. There are leeches out there. And they will suck your blood dry all while you're just smiling. You're saying, well, it's just information. It's just information. Don't be like my pet. Just a happy, happy dog. You know that's a song, right? And bleed, I got a, I got a co-singer. And bleeding without realizing. Because we won't cut some things out. And I'm confident that here this morning, online, in George, wherever this is watched later than live, you've got to confront the leeches in your life. Uh, just a word of caution, that's not necessarily people, okay? It, it can be things. So don't, don't, don't go, I wouldn't like over Sunday lunch, anybody looking at anybody and saying, babe, I'm very sorry, but you know, don't do that. Don't do that because you'll be hungry. Second Corinthians chapter 5 again reiterates the idea that before something new, then something old must be. Uh, in, from the Amplified Bible, in, uh, chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, uh, joined to him by faith in him as Saviour, uh, he's a new creation, reborn and renewed by the Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, condition has passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. I want to encourage you today that before something new can come, something old has to die. 
This principle is uncomfortable. Jesus has to continually reiterate. He describes it in this way. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. There is some kind of a moment of a burden, a moment of a decision, a moment of an action that clears the way for God to put something new in its place. Truthfully though, we can't do it on our own. It is Jesus himself who must set us free. I'm not instructing or advising or recommending that you go and cut something out of your life. What you have to do is come before the presence of an almighty God and say, Lord, could you please cut anxiety out of my life? Could you please cut overthinking out of my life? Could you please cut self-reliance, arrogance out of my life? And then allow the power of the Spirit of God to wash over you, not thinking that the removing is the completion of the miracle. It is the substituting with something else that is the completion of the miracle. Instead of anxiety, joy and speed, and full of glory. Instead of overthinking, abundance of life. Instead of loneliness, a sense and planting into community. The miracle isn't finished when a bad thing stops. The miracle is finished when God's good things start in your life. I need to make a reference to this because so many people emailed me about it. Creflo Dollar. Now, do you guys know who he is? Don't know who he is? I mean, it's a very unfortunate surname for a charismatic preacher <laughs> who is accused of uh, the prosperity gospel. Over-preaching about money, his surname is Dollar. <laughs> but he's been misrepresented recently on social media because over the last 10 years, he has been repenting of his bad doctrine and coming closer and closer to the true faith. Last Sunday in his church, he said, I apologize for the way I've been preaching on tithing. I've been doing it wrong. I've been telling you that tithing is some kind of secret formula to get extra, but it is not. It is the generosity of somebody who is already expressing gratitude for what God has already done, so I am sorry. And people have attacked him. What else was he wrong about? It's about time, it's not enough. Let me tell you, any sorry is good enough for me. And you should be careful because you may have to say sorry one day and with the measure with which you measure out, that thing, that boomerang comes straight back. You have to know how far this guy's come. I've met him in person. I shouldn't tell this story, but I'm gonna, and it's gonna be online and I'm gonna be attacked for it. But I've met the guy in person. I was disgusted. I went to Cape Town Conference. It was awful. So uh, pompous. A friend of mine went to pick him up from the airport to bring him to the conference. And the BMW that he took to pick him up in was older than six months. He said, I won't get in a car that's older than six months. When he arrived at the hotel, he said, where's the red carpet? The hotel said, we only do that for royalty and presidents. He said, I'll stay in this car until a red carpet comes out. Remember the Toronto blessing thing, how many of you were around? Those of you saying yes and amen, I'm just, just Jesus healed him in Jesus' name. Just him. It was a weird season in the church, people were laughing, rolling on the floor, experiencing dust and diamonds. Um, we later found out it was sweat, but I mean, God can, the question is would he, you know, that's the thing. And um, he used to bring his group, a little group of five or six people with who would start laughing during his message. 
and he called them fire lighters so that it would sort of happen. It was the most bizarre, I just left. For that guy to say, I've been abusing the gospel and I'm sorry and I need to lead my church to a healthy understanding of grace. Let me tell you, that is a big miracle. It's easy to start a YouTube channel and crit. But to go and face the journey God has given you and to bring you to a place of repentance and then to face all the nonsense people might say about you and say, I'm sorry. He's taken his suits off. He said, this is all arrogance and this is all ceremony. And he stopped doing that preacher, that, 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 that thing that... You know that weird, you know, it's like something came over them and they get these facial contortions and they say things with vibrato like they're singing a bad song. You stopped all of that. Now you're all going to Google him. None of you Googling me. Now you're going to go Google Dollar. Give the man some space to cut something out of his life and say that was wrong and put something new in his life because I need that space, you need that space, the church needs that space. We have to be allowed to grow, change our minds, repent and move forward. And some people are becoming stubborn about repenting because they don't want to face the criticism, the music, the friends, the spouse, the circumstance. But we have to do it. If we're going to grow, you have to cut some things out. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cain and Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples also were invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, by the way, if you ever wondered where the verse in the Bible is that says the best is yet to come, it's kind of from this. So this is the verse in the Bible, the story in the Bible. And, um, uh, and Jesus and his disciples also were invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman. Why do you involve me? Now, I've always made this joke. Never copy Jesus and speak to your mother like that. The only way you can do it is if you are the son of God and can raise the dead. Imagine, woman. You've got some husbands practicing that woman. And then the next sentence is, darling, I'm very sorry, darling. I was in the King James, it just sounds, I'm very sorry. I'll sleep there by the dogs just for a week. But look at what Jesus says. My hour has not yet come. Uh, he wasn't uh, worried about the wine. He was saying to his mother, and theologians reiterate this. There's a great book about this by Tim Keller, by the way, Encountering God. Um, he was saying to his mother, I, I don't want to experience right now what is still coming for me. What you're asking me to do is to perform the play of my final day. And he left him to consider the thought. His mother said to his servants, though, do whatever he tells you. you know, let, me, let me encourage you about something. The best advice I could give you as a pastor, when he whispers, work with it. Just do, just do what he says. It'll transform your life. Nearby stood six water jugs, a stone water jugs, the kind used by the Jews for a ceremonial washing, each holding uh, from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet toasted the water that had turned into wine 
and he, not realising where it had come from, that the servants who drew the water knew. And then he called the, bride, the bridegroom aside uh, and, and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheap wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. The best is yet to come. This is the story of what happens when you run out of your own methods, when you run out of your own strategies and there is no alternative but to ask the Lord for help. This is the story of how Jesus will turn our simplest stone jars into reservoirs of heaven's provision when we finally admit, I've got nothing left. Your marriage might be at its end or your business might be at its end, or you might be at your mental anguished end. That's not a bad place. In that moment, go before Jesus and say, I've run out. And watch him turn water into wine. I want to encourage you that in order for us to find our spiritual next season, we have to cut off some stuff. For me as a pastor, I've realised a new church is emerging out of the pandemic. Not the same one from 2019, a different one. And I'm learning to fall in love with that church also. You can't wait for something gone. You have to start to believe that something better lies ahead. The best stuff is still coming. What Jesus was telling his disciples, because they were all so impressed, You know, the Bible says it was a miracle to the people, but a sign to the disciples. You know, there's a difference between a sign and a miracle. A miracle is something I enjoy. A sign is something that teaches me. And the disciples realized this sign suggests something big. That how, no matter how, it's okay. I'll give them a mic soon. Give it a year or two. Replacement therapy happening there. The Bible teaches us, that if we'll trust Him, no matter how good it's been, God has a plan to make it better. I genuinely believe the best is yet to come. So there are a couple of ways we can own this idea of cutting things out and making space for something new. The first idea is that the one who shows us the stars carries scars. That might seem a little strange, but I think scars are okay. Christians seem desperately to want to avoid them. Oh Lord, I don't want to go through pain. I don't want to go through anything. I don't want to go. But did not every story of the saints in the Bible go through some moment that left a mark? Look at Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter in the New Testament about all the mighty men and women of faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, that is the testing of his faith was still in progress, offered up Isaac. Do you think that was a a scar? You don't think Abraham sat down with his friends and said, you won't believe one day what God asked me to do. You don't think his son used to watch him with those emoji eyes if he ever started packing wood again. (laughs) Dad, 
We've already done this one. But he had a moment. He was ready to sacrifice his only son as promised to whom uh, uh, it, was, it was said through Isaac, your descendants shall, uh, uh, shall be called for he considered it reasonable to believe that God was able to raise Isaac even from among uh, the dead. Indeed, um, in the sense that he was prepared to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God. You know that what the Bible is saying? That Abraham felt if God asked him, God would raise him. It would have been a scarring moment, a difficult, difficult moment. Abraham did not receive him back from the dead, figuratively speaking, for by faith, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, believing what God revealed to him, even regarding things to come. Another scarring moment. Uh, uh, Jacob and, and Esau fought, and yet his father blessed them and said, Lord, their future will be good. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and bowed in worship, leaning on the top of his staff. Those of you who know Jacob's story will know why he was leaning. Because there was a day that he wrestled with God and found himself limping after that. I think we need to accept some scars are part of spiritual journeys. Cutting and healing are necessary ingredients for grafting. Oh man, if I didn't feel too nerdy about it, I'd bring a plant here and we'd graft it. You have no idea how dramatic it is. It's a cut. Jesus himself not only has nails on his hands, but a cut in his side. The cut from which blood and water flowed. The cut that allowed a new bride in his side like Adam removing a rib to make Eve, God removing the church to make the bride. It took a cut. I'm amazed. The community of believers who sees the sacrifice of their Lord as the door to a new life seem so scared to sacrifice anything in our lives. If we truly believe that what awaits us on the other side of sacrifice is celebration, just like it did for Jesus, let's follow in his footsteps. Can you say amen to that? Cut some things. The second idea of embracing, I want to share with you on embracing this pattern of eliminating so that God can substitute is the idea of getting out of our tents and exploring our territories. You know, lockdown was, uh, had good things to it and awful things to it. We are now experiencing the mental health crisis that lockdown created. People have lived such small lives that the opportunity to step out and believe for new things has become more difficult. But I want to encourage you today, get out of the tent and count the stars until you realize you can't count them and then say, thank you, Lord, that my future is better than the number of stars in the sky. You have to get out of your comfort zone, out of the tent and out of the space to explore new territory. 1 Corinthians 13 puts it like this. If I give all my possessions to feed the point, if I surrender my body to be burnt, but do not have love, it does me no good. 
it's not just about having, it's about loving. I have a wife, but do you love your wife? I go to church, but do I love church? I have a Bible, but do I love the Word? I have a body, do I like it? (laughs) I have children, do I love them? I have a Saviour, do I love the Lord? I want to encourage you that if you really want to get things cut out, start by saying what you love. The minute you say what you love, other things can't steal your affection. We say we love things easily these days, don't we? Oh, I love that. The teenagers will say, I'm loving that for you. And if they really want to stretch their language, they go, we're loving. We don't know who we is. We're loving that for you. Oh, we love everything easily. But we struggle to declare our affection for the Lord. I love the Lord. It puts a barrier and a boundary against my enemy. I want to encourage you today, declare your affection for the Lord. And then thirdly, one of the ways you edit your heart so that things don't leach from you, attach themselves to you or get connected so you don't feel bound is that you let God define the dimensions and the distance in your life. Here's what I mean. Every time something takes control of me, I surrender it to God and He cuts it off. And every time He cuts it off, He gives me the strength to carry a little further. Jesus put it like this, Matthew 19. If you wish to be perfect, that is have spiritual maturity, I think this is from the Amplified Bible, that accompanies good character and no moral or ethical deficiencies, go and sell what you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me and become my disciple, believing and trusting in me and the same path of life that I walk. Now, before you um, think this is a Creflo dollar old school message, it's important to know how this conversation started. It started like this. This man came to Jesus and said, how does a rich man get to heaven? And Jesus realized his problem is he's defining himself. You know, asking for a friend, it was in the Bible. This man came and said, I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for a rich friend. How do they get to heaven? And it was because... He said he was the rich man that Jesus said, deal with the thing that defines you and then come follow me and be my disciple. Stop worrying about being the rich man. Just be the son of God who is allowed to be rich. What defines you? Some people today are defined by an event. Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm divorced. I'm so-and-so, I'm single. I am so-and-so, and I got recently married. <laughs> and I can't even say anything about it because I've been joking about being single for 30 years. So they've got 29.5 years to go before I can say something. 
we define ourselves by an event, usually a negative one. This guy was defining himself by his wealth. Suppose you meet someone very rich, Jesus, just asking for a friend. Oh, Jesus said, now I know your demon. Your demon is that you place value in your economic status. So you bring it up at the introductory conversation. He was not name dropping. He was money dropping. People do it all the time. People do it all the time. I'm just going to go to my so-and-so car. I left my Louis Vuitton bag there. I just quickly need to pick up something I ordered from such and such. I'm careful now about names. Next year I'm sponsored and then what? (laughs) And you know, we live in a world now where that's prized. Because you take a photo and the LV has to be in the background and the Ray-Bans on the wall and the thing. You know, every now and then God just has to say, does that really define you? No, I'm defined by this characteristic. I'm a child of God. When I have much, I give him thanks. And when I have little, I give him thanks. Every now and then God has to remind you and edit you. Last humorous story of how God did exactly that in my life. It was funny and stressful all at once. I was in Cape Town. I thought, I'm going to go shop while I'm there. And I'm going to get one of every brand I can afford. I thought, well, PE doesn't have some of them yet. Again. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, come back. I had gone to buy a pair of sandals. I'd seen them all over TikTok and Instagram, so it's totally my fault. Birkenstocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to know how much they are. They're a couple of grand. I saved up for them. But I didn't know they were a couple of grand. They were slops. Sandals. I thought, surely, can't be much more than Crocs, you know. (laughs) So I'm there. No, no, no. The story gets much worse. I'm there in the shop with Pastor Israel from Cape Town. I'm going to get myself a pair. I feel it's very unkind, unbrotherly and unfatherly to have him standing there watching me buy. I said, get yourself a pair. I went to the counter and they rang it up. It's basically five grand. Something got stuck here. I can get four freedom of motion leather shoes for that. These are sandals made with cork at the bottom and plastic on the top. I think I can make them at home. If I just follow two or three YouTube tutorials, I can. You also need a degree to keep them clean. But now I'm there and this young man is there and the cashier is there and my pride is the fourth in the fire. I said, no problem, bring it up. I dug out my American Express, you know, the card you've paid off. I said, try that. I never said try before. I said, oh, I hope I can remember the code. <laughs> You're laughing because you did it already this last week. <laughs> 
course, it went through. And then I, I felt that Jesus was giving me a way out when I got home. I had two left feet. I found Israel and I said, Israel, have you got two right feet? He said, no, I've got, I said, he said, no, I've got a left and a right foot. I said, man in the shoes. He said, no, the shoes are correct. I thought, ha, returns policy. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But the fourth in the fire came with me to the shop. And, and he didn't even blink. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. We'll look in the back. No, there isn't one in the back. But I'll see here because you've bought from Treader Miller before you in PE. Chup, 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 chup. We've dispatched a new pair to PE. <laughs> I said, thanks, man. I got the tracking number. They announced it with such joy. We're happy to inform you that your parcel has left the depot. Delete. <laughs> it sat there in Warmer Park two weeks. Eventually I went. I thought, well, I can cancel it there. can take it out and put it on my feet and go, it doesn't fit. I changed foot size. And I walked in and I said, good morning, Pastor George. Yeah. How are you today? Blessed and highly <laughs> favoured. Gemma. Now when I wear them, I dust them carefully. I say, Jesus, I'm following in your footsteps. Miracles better happen here on this day. I want a burning bush that I can stand in front of so I can take the sandals off and I can say, a burning bush. Do you know, the, the, the point of the story was, all of that pain is the result of pride. And it could stop at any moment if I would just edit pride. What are you cutting out? Stop it. You're leaving blood wherever you go. You're bleeding on your family because you're angry. You're bleeding on the church because you're disappointed. You're bleeding on your household because you're discouraged. When does the blood stop? Why should you bleed anymore when enough bleeding already happened on a cross that day? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's a hectic scripture. But I hope you have context for it today. Could you stand with me? Let's pray. Next Sunday, we're broadcasting into our churches. I won't be allowed to go this far over time. So come back next week and get a little bit short. Just before we pray, um, George, uh, City of George, as I say City of George, because it sounds like I'm talking to myself. You know, I have to say, George, say to George, George, good morning. I know. Um, but just um, uh, give me a moment with, with our church here too. So just stay standing, if you would. Um, if I may, before, because for the next three weeks, I can't do stuff like this because it'll be broadcast into our churches and these comments become awkward. Uh, but could I ask you, over the next three weeks, as we, as we untangle the the, the wickedness of 
of false religion and the genuineness of of the gospel of grace. Could I ask you to be intentional about praying for your church, inviting people to church and coming early? I don't know if you realize this, but it is a huge difference to a guest when you're here first. It's a huge difference. Eh? I want to encourage you to do that. I think we need to, we need to uh, step back into the fires of revival a little bit. And uh, I think the world needs us brighter now than ever before because it's darker there than it has ever been before. And I think we must be at our brightest. And I want to encourage you to consider doing that. It's a massive, it makes a massive difference. Inviting someone, have a cup of coffee with them in the week and say, man, I need you in church, man. You need you in church. And let's bring people into the warmth of the fire of faith. Can you say amen to that? I think it's worth it. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is truth. We thank you that your truth sets us free. We thank you, Father, that is as extreme or severe as the scripture may seem. It is your affection for us that made you say it. It is your concern for us that made you declare it. And Father, today we pray in Jesus' name, would you please give us the power by your Spirit to cut out whatever needs to be cut out. We can't do it in our own strength. So by your Spirit, release us, we pray. Release us from the chains, the leeches, the attachments, the unholy declarations, the alliances that are destroying our soul and set us free in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, one last shout of praise and worship.